heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, hockey, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to all the action. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using promo code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Again, that's promo code THPN only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 88 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. There we go. How's everybody doing out there? Another wacky Wednesday. Just wrapped up work. I'm going to do the intro here. Had a gr- have a great interview for you guys today. I think you guys will really dig it. Jordan Clark, five-year WHL veteran. Over 600 minutes and penalties. Over 70 tilts back in the day in the Wild West days of the Western Hockey League when it was Take No Prisoners. Fought Colt Nor numerous times. Randy Ponte numerous times. Kazauka. Scheffelmeyer. Matt Sommerfeld. You guys have heard me talk about Matt Sommerfeld on here before. Uh, on and on. And... Uh, You'll know plenty of the names, and Jordan was a good guy. I was happy to finally get him on the show. We had talked about it for a bit, and uh, yeah, he tells some good stories from, uh, you know, starting off in Prince Albert, then uh, traded to Spokane, and then finished out his career in Regina. So, um, yeah, you know how we do it around here. I like getting the old dub boys on here. I like like getting all all the guys, you know, but uh, I kind of have the, you know, I'm not going to lie, I got a soft spot for the Western Hockey League guys, being out west here. And, uh, and of course the nineties, uh, was, you know, kind of right in the wheelhouse, uh, for me. So, um, yeah, I always enjoy, uh, uh, anytime I can get an old, uh, Western boy on here, I, uh, I, I like to do that. So, but, uh, yeah, guys, um, if, uh, like I said, this is episode 88. So I please encourage, I encourage everybody to go back, check out the back catalog, 87 other episodes. Um, every Wednesday is interview day. Whether it be with a player or a fight, fellow fight fan or what have you. And then Sunday is, uh, you know, uh, whatever happens Sunday. We kind of rant away and, uh, you know, I, I look out my window and, and yell. And uh, 
whatever the the topics of the day happen to be or whatever uh you know it's in my mind at the time but uh and it can kind of go whichever which way um which it did this past uh, episode episode 87 um i've talked to a few people about it afterwards and uh yeah honestly i i didn't like the way i ended it i kind of uh you know did the you know i i basically just shut it off i was i was I was mad about a situation that occurred on social media um, involving myself and some ex-players. And, uh, yeah, and I just didn't appreciate it. And, uh, anyway, yeah, if you go listen to the episode or, don't, you know, whatever. But, you know, I talk about it at the end and, uh, yeah, and, and was pretty pissed off about it. And I just kind of shut the show down. Because normally I do this whole player spotlight thing at the end and I didn't do it this time. And... And, uh, yeah, I was kind of mad at myself actually afterwards when, uh, you know, I, I kind of listened back to it and I was like, eh, you know, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't take anything I said back. I meant every word I said and I still do, but, uh, you know, it's just probably, you know, I mean, yeah, it's ranty and I, you know, I like to go on, you know, you know how people, regular listeners know how I drone, drone on and on, but, uh, and get uh, wound up, but, uh, I'm, you know. To be completely honest, folks, I'm not really that wound up. I don't want to say it's a gimmick, but but the last five minutes of that episode was legit, and um, yeah, but uh, yeah, moving on. Um, like I said, I've had I've had good talks with uh, friends of mine that are, are that are that do this as well, and uh, you know, just people that I. Uh, that I, that I talk to a lot through, either through, um, you know, the fighting and like the social media part of it. And, and, uh, you know, I consider friends and, uh, I value their opinion and I got it. And, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll move on. But, um, yeah, guys, like I said, the show sponsored by the hockey podcast network, 55 shows on the network, all the NHL teams are represented. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Um, myself, Terry Ryan, Brad Lieb, uh, you know, we're on the original content side. Um, but, uh, yeah, lots of great shows on the network. I, I encourage anybody to check those out. Um, you know, those guys, you know, with the season going on, of course, they're busy and, uh, you know, putting out the weekly happenings on each team. And, uh, you know, uh, you'll probably find a show that you enjoy. And um, and then for my off-network friends, of course, I have Joe Lazito over at the Coliseum Chronicles. He covers the, uh, he's an Islander Enforcer podcast. Um, and he's had great guests over the years, or over the past, uh, years, well, you know, we haven't been doing it that long, it seems like it some days, but, uh, no, since he started his podcast, he had Mick Fakota, Dean Ewan, Jason Strudwig, Aaron Asham, on and on, Joe, and, uh, right now we're in the middle of the Trevor Gillies Marathon, um, and it is, uh, oh, I, I've said this for the past week since Joe put it out, um, you know, I'm sure regulars are getting tired of hearing about it, but it's true. I've, I've said it, it when it's done, it will be the gold standard of how every that every player interview will be judged against, which probably isn't fair because nobody will be able to live up to that. But uh, they're in part three right now. Uh, the first each episode's three hours, and uh, yeah, they're covering his entire career and you know every teammate and fight and. Um, yeah, and Trevor's a great storyteller, has a, you know, rem- you know, great memory, um, you know, and he's, uh, detailed and he's not holding anything back. And I mean, he's, he's the dream guest. When you're a podcast host, uh, that's, he's the dream guest. 
And, uh, and it also helps. The biggest thing is, as I've said, is, uh, Joe and him are friends. And so they have that personal relationship where, you know, like I said, myself or Alec or whoever, we could have interviewed Trevor and, you know, and, and I'm arrogant, but I, I think I could get, I could get a good interview out of him, I think. And, and, uh, you know, we could tell some fight stories and whatever, and it would have been fine. But, um, but I don't have that relationship with him that Joe has. And, uh, and it comes through in the interview you can, and, uh, yeah, it's a real special interview. And, uh, those, those two guys have done a great, and as a fight fan, I'm, Hey, I'm a fight nerd, obviously. That's why I do this. And, uh, you know, and I was always a big Gillies fan and anyway, and, uh, yeah, this is just, you know, icing on the cake in terms of the interview. So yeah, no, Joe, keep Trevor, uh, uh, keep up the good work. I, I don't know how many more episodes you got in yet. I mean, we're just starting. He's just getting into the island now. Just getting to the NHL now, and we're at the end of like part three. So, yeah, I mean, it. Um, you know, it's a saga, but uh, but I mean, hey, the guy played pro for almost t- two decades. So yeah, you're gonna have a lot to talk about. So no, it's tremendous. And uh, of course, uh, other shows. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Morrison of Fight Stories. I keep saying I want to promote them. I uh, I enjoy that their guys' shows. Um, yeah, they do a great job. Um, and then uh, of course uh, Fred and Dave over at the Slewfoot Hockey Show, and Dan, Paul, and Kelly at the Obey the Puck Show. Um, they're two current hockey shows. Um, you know, just again discussing what happened during the week, whether it be in the NHL or the minors or or the women's game. And, uh, and they're all nice people and I thank them for doing it. I always say I listen to them so I don't have to watch and, uh, you know, and it's true and, uh, no, they do, they do a bang up job. So, um, yeah, guys, other than that, I'm not going to really ramble on too much here because, uh, you know, that's sort of what the Sunday shows are for. And, uh, and Jordan and I talk actually quite for quite a length of time. So I can't remember the exact length, but I, it was a, it was a fair bit. So. Um, again, I want to thank Jordan for coming on the show. I really appreciate him taking time out of his day and, uh, yeah, guys, uh, let's get at it. Here's my talk with Jordan Clark and we'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks everybody. All right. On the line here, we have a, a five year Western hockey league, uh, veteran, 240 games, 605 career penalty minutes and numerous battles that we're going to hear all about right now on the line. Jordan Clark, Jordan, how you doing tonight? Real good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for uh, for for sitting down and talking with us today. Uh, I know we've uh, we've actually kind of gone back and forth about this for a while now. So no, I'm I'm glad we could finally uh, hook this up and and get at it here. And you had a yeah, well, and uh, you played for Prince Albert, Spokane, and Regina. And uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the journey here and the teammates and the opponents and uh and all that uh but first we've got to start at the beginning uh where'd you uh grow up and play your minor hockey so i'm originally from uh rollo saskatchewan it's a town of about 500 people just 30 minutes south of regina um played there my my entire life actually i wanted to i was asked to go play uh, you know double a Kiwi and and double a bantam and uh weyburn and and of course, in a small town, if you lose one or two people, the, the whole team crumbles. And my dad was the coach and the manager, and always, always was uh, growing up. So, if I left and he left, and you know, my friends would have nowhere to play. So I stuck it out here till uh, my first year in Bantam, uh, and I was just, you know, definitely afraid that 
I, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere else or I wouldn't need to be playing against better better people. And it was amazing in those days that, um, you know, there's either be four or five uh, scouts in the fan, uh, in, the, in the stands every night. And um, so, yeah, I, I knew that if you're, you know, if you're good enough or had something of interest, people would find you. And uh, it actually worked out good. I got drafted uh, to Prince Albert Raiders and then uh, ended up playing my, my uh, AAA midget in Prince Albert uh, as an underage. And then played another year there, and then went to the WHL after that. Now, um, uh, now, like growing up, were you were you uh, uh, always a, a physical player? Um, I think from my size, I just naturally was. I was a big kid early on. Like I really didn't grow after I was thirteen or fourteen years old. I think I one of the summer hockey teams I played on. Uh, I was listed at six two, two hundred pounds as a thirteen year old. Oh. And I think my last year, my last year in the WHL, I was six two two fifteen or something like that. So um, I was naturally just a, a big kid and and um, you know fairly strong. I wasn't a mean person by any stretch, and I think my brother and my cousins would always uh, would would second that. They were always picking on me and uh, making me squeal and cry and everything else. But um, yeah, it, it actually wasn't until my first Triple uh, A camp. My brother actually took me up, and he had played. Triple A midget in North Battleford and was playing junior at the time in, in North Battleford in the SJHL. And um, yeah, he said if you're going to make this team, you got to you got to fight, you got to show them what you can do. And it just happened to be a guy came by and kind of gave me a whack in the back of the legs going off the ice. So I turned and looked at him. And he looked at me and we shed the mitts. And that was actually the first time I, I had an actual hockey fight. Um, I you know I mauled some guys up in, in minor hockey, but nothing nothing to this extent where you know in those days in the camps you backed up and you shedded all your gear and you went after it and right away this guy you know knew he made a bad decision and he ended up being actually a, a real good friend of mine he he made the team as well and i uh, spent lots of time with him so we always had good laughs over that first fight yeah so obviously from your answer there um well okay so you played the triple a midget and now you go to your first um you like you said you were drafted in the bantam draft by the by prince by prince albert so you go to the you know the western hockey league camp and this is a whole new world now and uh, did you have uh, when you first got there? Was did you uh, did you have a few fights in camp? Your first one? Yeah, and I I think that first that first camp. So I played in AAA midget my first year as a fifteen year old. I think I had probably a dozen fights, and you know did fairly well and was fairly comfortable in that. And actually, that that summer, even before the first Raider camp, uh, funny story, I ended up fighting Derek Parker. Uh, in a summer hockey exhibition game, if you can believe that, we were a, I think we were major bantams, and they were minor bantams. There's a year apart, anyways. And it was supposed to be just exhibition, uh, get both teams skating, and and him and I ended up fighting. So um, throughout that that first year, I got fairly comfortable with it. So then that first Raider camp, um, there was three or four uh, scraps that I got in, and and there's there's one in particular where. Uh, there's a guy that was saying in, in the shower and on their team, and of course I had some some buddies that were on the other team saying that he was going to be a new tough guy in in Prince Albert. And of course that was a role that I was, you know, not to say I was going to fill it, but I, that was it came naturally to me. And on that team, uh, we already had Craig Brunell uh, was there, um, and you know he was a very tough guy at the time, and someone that I didn't really you know hook up with a whole bunch in camp just because he was at a different level at that point. Uh, so anyways, me and this other guy ended up uh, scrapping, and um, yeah, he came in with his hands down, and he kept kind of flinching, and his hands were at his hips, and he just got within striking distance. I remember I gave him a jab, and it caught him right in the eye and, and cut him off real bad. And 
and yeah, I just got real confidence after that. And um, I didn't end up making the team. I hung in for, oh, I think a couple weeks and had some pretty good uh, preseason scraps with some of the other teams. Uh, some of the guys I ended up fighting, you know, throughout my career, we would hook up. We were all kind of that same age group. Um, there's a lot of us 82s that would, would scrap. And, uh, yeah, I ended up getting sent back down to AAA Midget that year uh, as a 16-year-old. But I, I do remember I got called up for a couple games, and I was playing as a defenseman and wearing a uh, full cage or a fishbowl, I guess, an uh, tech. And I remember we were, uh, we were getting beat up a little bit in, in Prince Albert one night, and I was out there, and a guy came by and kind of gave me a jab, and I gave him a jab. And, um, anyways, I, we shed the mitt and, or mitts and, and our gear, and I was wearing a, a helmet, a fishbowl, and, of course, that was kind of unheard of that a underage guy or some you know call up would be scrapping. So anyways, fought a guy from uh, uh, Saskatoon who wasn't overly tough, but he was game, and we went after it. And I don't know that kind of just cemented my uh, I think my time in Prince Albert after that. You know, then the following year, things kind of just fell into place. Yes, uh, yeah. Kyle Hart was who who you fought there for Saskatoon. Kyle Hart, that's, <laughs> that's exactly who it was. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was kind of a chip. He was kind of a chippy guy, and he was hacking and jabbing and yapping a bit and yeah he kind of and i was to the most for the most part i was nervous you know i just kind of kept to myself played my game and just tried to go d to d and up to the center and up to the winger and you know trying not to screw up and <laughs> and get scored on and yeah just uh he came by and we hooked up and yeah it's so it's, it's amazing once you get confidence in in a when you're a scrapper or i guess confidence in anything but it just it starts to feel a little bit more comfortable, but however, I can, I can tell you some stories that I got overconfident, and there's a, every once in a while someone who puts you in place, and um, that's what that's what I love about the WHL. That no matter how tough uh, you thought you were, there was somebody always tougher and always more prepared, and they could always put you in your place. Oh, oh yes, yeah, it happens to everyone definitely, and uh, well, well, we'll get there. But uh, well. So in your, uh, you know, your five games you played as a 16 and then, uh, your following, the following year, um, the, while well, speaking of toughness, your coach was, of course, legendary tough guy, Kevin McClellan. And, um, did you get, did you get along with Kevin? You know, actually I did, but he scared the shit out of me and scared the shit out of everybody on our team. He was, he was legitimately nuts. And I, I practiced actually more, uh, more than I played the year before as a call-up, uh, I'd actually practiced with the Raiders quite a bit, and they they had a pretty good team that that year. I think I was I was 16, um, and they were on a winning streak. And he wouldn't even come on the ice, uh, and if he did, he'd just have a coffee and a donut and sit on the bench and and yell some drills. And actually, uh, the captain would run the would run the practice. So it was what I thought what you would see in the NHL uh, that you know that kind of a coaching style. But of course, when you lost, then he'd come on the ice and. And things would change, but yeah, he was—he was the most intimidating man that I've ever met. Um, and it, it's not something that was on on purpose or a charade. That's just the way he was. He was just tough and nuts, and uh, and it started right in training camp. Um, you know, we had a couple—we had a couple line brawls, if you can believe that, in training camp. Um, and he would come down, and he wouldn't—you know—scold us. He would actually no, no, encourage it, but he wanted us to play tough. Um, and if he liked you, you, you knew it. And if, if he didn't like you, uh, you definitely knew it. And there's, there were some guys, some skilled guys that were maybe a little bit too pretty, a little bit too fancy, didn't want to get their hands dirty. Uh, and not even just fight, but just get in the corners and stuff. And he would ride those guys hard. Like I, I remember we had a first round pick, uh, Greg Watts. And I guess that would have been the following year, but yeah, he, he was all over Watson all, all the time. And it didn't, it never, never worked out well for Watson there, but. Um, he was very, very intimidating, but 
a good, hard, fair coach too. And you like to have fun. Um, but yeah, there's a couple times that, you know, whether you're struggling at practice and he would be all over you calling you a drill killer and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'd get, I'd get frustrated and kind of get mad and he'd come by and scold me and, you know, to say like, I'm giving you shit because I like you, like smarten up. And, and if I'm not talking to you, I don't like it. So I, you kind of start to figure out how he ticks and what, what makes him tick. But at the end of the day, he liked guys that worked hard and played hard. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, and like you said, that first year, yeah, you really successful. I mean, you know, you Prince Albert, you know, first and, uh, you know, 45 and 22. So, I mean, I guess you can't really, you know, question the methods when you finish in first, I guess. But yeah, it, um, uh, well, and like you said, yeah, just speaking of toughness, I mean, you have, uh, you know, um, Craig, uh, Craig Brunel and uh, Todd Fedoric and Riley Cote and, um, you know, and, oh, and Scott Hartnell. I mean, no, granted, they were 16, but I mean, you know, grittier guys. But um, how did you, uh, well, I guess the fridge kind of got shipped out, but did you get along with Fedoric and Brunel and those guys? Uh, yeah, I actually, I like Brunel quite a bit. He was, he was a good guy and was, you know, eager to take, take me kind of under his wing and, um, you know, he's a fairly quiet guy, kind of kept to himself, but, uh, we got along good cause we were kind of, you know, kind of built the same. Um, yeah. And, and for Dork, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with him. Um, but yeah, that, that first, that first year, you know, I was up and down quite a bit. And of course I saw a lot of those guys at, at school. And like I said, I practiced with them and, uh, and it wasn't until the following year that, that, you know, I kind of settled right in, but yeah, that next year, I remember I was off to a rocky start, and I wasn't getting lots of ice time. And, of course, I think I was I was trying to be as a defense, which I was a defense my whole life, and I, I ended up staying that way. But um, I saw the writing on the wall. We had six six really good defensemen, I think actually veterans, and a, and a couple you know, good call-ups and rookies. And I thought, well, this isn't going to work if there's you know eight or nine of us. And I think I was healthy scratch for the first four or five uh, games. And then... I believe we were playing Swift Current, and I got uh, I got I was dressed, and I fought uh, Colt Moore, and there was lots of noise around Colt Moore being you know this this real big tough guy in, in the league, and um, and obviously ended up being that way. But uh, at the start, um, he was game, but he you know, wasn't maybe wasn't the best skater. And uh, anyways, yeah, we locked horns right away. Um, of course, you know, McCollum, I knew when he sent me on the ice, I knew it wasn't to go out there and necessarily score a goal, so I kind of surveyed the situation the best they could and lined up with him and and uh yeah we had a, a good solid scrap i got the best of them by a long shot of that one and yeah after that it's i don't know if actually i stayed i think i played every game after that i think i or, or very close to it. i think we played 72 games and i think i played 65 or 66 games so uh, i had a good run after that and but it was it was funny like that first that first full year for me uh i think i only had three or four minors uh, because if you got a minor, and as a fourth line player that only gets you know half a dozen shifts a game, you get a minor, uh, especially a cheap one for tripping or you know interference or something like that, you're not going to touch the ice the rest of the game. That's the way McCollum played. Like you know, stay out of the box. If you're going to take a penalty, make sure it's a good one. So all my all my penalties were essentially five minute minors, or sorry, five minute majors from fighting. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of minors. Yeah, well, going through hockeyfights.com, I mean. Uh... Yeah, it's got you actually listed. Yeah, you played uh, 66 games, and they got you listed down for 31 fights, you know, between yeah. the, between that'd that. Be, that'd be close to it, yeah. Yeah, between uh, regular season and uh, and playoffs. So, yeah, and like you said, in your, and on, in, uh, your stats, 154 penalty minutes. 
Well, you had 31 yeah. fights. I mean, you did do the math, right? Yeah, you weren't taking any tripping calls, that's for sure. Um, no, like, like I honestly, I think I only had three minors. And because you saw you were, I wanted to go over and hit guys, and so you, you tried to, but you couldn't actually just take liberties or because you know I didn't want to, I didn't want to cost the team, and I still wanted to play, right? So it was a fine line of what you're doing, but you know, throughout the year, you started to get a little bit more comfortable, and and as we're starting to play other teams, like man, there was some really, really tough teams, and every team had two or three uh, oh, yeah. solid tough guys like ready to scrap every single night, and so that first year, you know, our team with uh, with Brunel, um, and then myself, and then even uh, Regan Darby came yep. across, I think, from Red Deer. Um, you know, Hartnell wasn't afraid to mix it up, and you know, he was he was an amazing player even then. Like, I think when that first year when I was 17, I think Fedorik was playing in Regina at that point, and one of the toughest guys in the league, and Hartnell lined him up and, and leveled him at center ice and knocked him out with an open ice hit. And that was our, I think that was our captain at that time, right? And I guess not, I might even the following year when he's 18. But like that's just the kind of player he was. He was gritty and hard nosed, and didn't didn't matter who he was up against. And that he played that way his entire career, and I think that's why he's, he was so successful. But um, you know, even that even that first year with a couple guys like uh, Riley Cote, like you mentioned him. Um, our so my draft year uh, was Scott Hartnell was first, Nick Schultz was second, uh, I believe Cote was third. There's another guy that was fourth that I don't think ended up playing, and then myself was fifth. And then there's another guy that played who was in the sixth round. And we all ended up, you know, playing at some point. So that, that was pretty good to have five or six draft picks all play at, on, that, on that, that team. But when Cote was there, he was definitely a goal scorer. Yeah. He was he was tall yeah. and thin and wickedly fast and could shoot and was, you know, hard-nosed and had an edge to him. But um, it was it was definitely McClellan's influence that changed the way that he played and ended up obviously being a, a hard-nosed scrapper. And that's really, like, if you're talking to Kevin McClellan, that was his story, too. He entered the NHL as a goal scorer and ended up as a, as a fighter. So um, it, it was, it, I guess, it would, to a certain degree, complimented, I think, Cote's game. And um, I think the guy could still score and still play at the end, but obviously he was wickedly tough and, you know, held that role in the NHL for quite some time, too. So good on him. But And then, you know, obviously uh, Greg Watson, or, uh, I'm sorry, um, Grant McNeil as well, uh, he was a, the first couple of years like he didn't even scrap at all, and I, I still remember the night that we played Lethbridge, and we had a line brawl, and you could tell that things weren't settled. Uh, it was chippy the next couple shifts, and McNeil was out there. And I think he fought Ryan Jordy was the guy's name, who was you know a fairly tough guy. Yep. And I don't know if we if we hadn't seen McNeil really fight or whatever, but anyways, he squared up, and he did the typical McNeil where he stands way back and he's got these big long arms. And he was swinging with the, the biggest punches that you've ever seen. He was reaching way back and coming around. He had these big fists. And they were just hitting like sledgehammers. And I remember I was on the bench watching. I thought, holy shit. Like, where has he been with this, you know? And was just connecting, just bang and bang and bang. And he always leaned his head back and he stared at you all the time. And it would, you know, it would take a lot of damage and punches. But he could swing as hard and as fast as, as anybody and just left dirty, dirty damage. And after that fight, of course, McNeil just started feeling more comfortable and scrapped and scrapped and then ended up being, you know, one of the toughest guys, just not the toughest guy in the league uh, after that. But it's just amazing what happens. And, you know, it's, it's in, it's in certain guys and whether it's confidence or the situation that pushes you to that, that point, but you start to figure out what, what uh, gives yourself some room on the ice and gets you some more playing time too. No, absolutely. And, um, well, and, and the uh, 
Well, and for anybody, for the people listening out there, uh, what for? I always got to, I always got to do the shameless plug here. But your your fight with Colt Nor is on my YouTube channel, and McNeil's fight with Jordy is on my YouTube channel. And <laughs> and you are correct uh, in your assessment of both those fights. And uh, although I'm, I might be mixing up the Colt Nor fights because I think you guys fought half a dozen times, so I don't know which one. Maybe I should take that back. Uh, uh, some of your Colt Nor fights are on my channel. I'm I'm not sure which ones, but I know you fought them a bunch of times. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I guess if I had to take a guess of who I fought the most, Colt Moore, uh, Matt Sommerfeld, Randy Ponte, um, Derek Parker. I would probably say it was Sommerfeld more than anything. Um, and, and yeah, and then even Ryan Jordy, we fought half a dozen times. But, I, it, of course, when we were in Prince Albert, you look at Saskatoon, they had Hortichuk, Halderson, you know, even Warren Peters. Like they, they had a very scrappy team. And then you go over to Brandon, and they had Randy Ponte and, and Tutu, and of course Ponte had been a tough guy for uh, a lot longer than when I was, you know, got in the WHL. Then Regina had Kazoka, um, Travis Churchman, uh, you know, even Barrett Jackman was a bit of a tough guy. Uh, Musha had a couple of real tough guys. I don't think at that point um, England kind of came into the scope yet, but um, there's a guy by the name of Bobby Chad Mitchell who was in 1982. He was always game for a fight. And then yeah, Swift Current had uh, Sommerfeld and Orr. And I can actually I can tell you this: every every single game I played against Swift Current, I fought Sommerfeld or Orr. Um, and then yeah, then you go into Alberta, it was the same thing. Everybody, every team had two or three guys. So you you knew you knew what you're doing every single night. And if you got if you got through a game without actually having a scrap, it, it's, it actually felt pretty good. But um, you know, pre-game they have we have the stat sheets in the rooms, and you can just see who had the most penalty minutes and who had the most majors. And even if you're unfamiliar with certain teams, you kind of knew who to look for and watch out for. And once you played them a couple times, but yeah, we had some we had some legendary battles with Swift Current with uh, with Orr and Sommerfeld, and uh, I think Dean Sardashny was on that team. Yep. He was big and tough, and yeah, Ben Andres was another guy, a weasel that would you know jab at you and always be in the mix and. And honestly, it wasn't uncommon to have a line brawl every game with certain teams. And we did, I remember with Regina, we had a couple doozies. And at, at the end of it all, you'd, you'd hook up with a guy like Kazoka or Travis Churchman. And uh, same with Brandon. We locked horns with them lots. And you know, you'd always find your way with Randy Ponte or, um, you know, Tutu or whatever, right? So it was, those are, those are battles for sure. And like there's, you go to school, you know, and then we're in high school and you go to school and your knuckles, you, know, you can't put your knuckles in your pockets. You can't put your hands in your pockets. And uh, prior to, to practices, you'd have to put Vaseline in every one of your knuckles on your fingers because those dry gloves would just kill them. So you'd soak your gloves with water and just do whatever you could to be able to hang on to a stick. And yeah, it was it was it was nuts. We tried every single thing that we dip our hands in in um, Vaseline and wax and do just do whatever we could to try and heal them in between practices and games. But of course, it's just as they're getting healed, you start to play another game and scrap and hit a guy's helmet or his teeth or wherever right and they skin right up again so those interesting times for sure oh yeah were you um well speaking of of, i always have to ask with the jerseys were you a jersey guy like did you do any modifications or uh just kind of whatever they gave you you Um, yeah kind of whatever they gave me obviously i i tied down and i think actually yeah i know you're i did do a modification i I tied laces to the tie down as well and i would tie that to my pants because some guys like their stuff coming off, and I, I guess I never did because a couple of times I tried it, and the jersey gets stuck halfway, and your arms get stuck, and 
Um, so I, I would wear as, as thin a shoulder pads as I could, uh, but it never never seemed to help. So I'd rather just keep the jersey on. If that gives somebody a leverage to hang on to me than whatever, but we'd work all the time on how to shake a guy's grip on you, and there wasn't too many times that someone could hang on if you did the, you know, moved your elbows and spun properly to, to, to break their grip, right? So, and... And honestly, I I didn't I didn't necessarily like to get hit in the face, so I would be uh, I would like to get on inside on guys. And I wasn't like I was six two, two hundred and ten pounds, but the guys that that were fighting them, there was a lot of them that were six four, six five, and big men. So, um, you know, guys like myself and Summerfeld were, were kind of about the same size. Like we were fighting a lot of guys that were way bigger than us. So you had to you had to kind of find ways to to get an advantage. And for me, that was somewhat to try and get on the inside and. Um, yes, I was bigger than you know a lot of other other guys that would like even like the Marastis and the Tutus. They were they were clutch at getting on in on the inside and then being able to withstand punishment and, and throw hard. But yeah, for the for the most part, um, I guess my jersey was stocked outside of some laces. I'd, I'd always pull them, my arms right up so you could see half my elbow pads. So I didn't need to give guys any more leverage than I needed to. Well, about uh, early on in the season, of course, there's the trade that sends uh, uh, Craig Brunel to Red Deer. And in return, uh, a cat that's six foot six walks in, and Steve McIntyre. Um, what was your first impressions of Big Mac? And, uh, and, and yeah, well, what are your impressions of Steve McIntyre at that time? Well, yeah, so we we played them a, a bit, and I guess if I recall, he was with uh, he might have been Saskatoon and Red Deer, and then we got him from Red Deer, I think, if that's how the yep. the trades work. But yep. Dressing room and Prince Albert was long and skinny, so most of the stalls are on the sides, but there's a couple on the end, and there's a goalie in the corner, and I was actually right beside the goalie. Um, and so I could see the full length of the room. I had one of the spots I could see that. And I remember when he opened the door and walked in, and just he was a massive cowboy. He had a, a cowboy hat that was probably as big as a five-gallon pail, and he had to take it off to get through the door because uh, the door was relatively low, and of course he was big in the cowboy hat, and big belt buckle and boots, and just looked like as big a hard-boned cowboy that you've ever seen in your life. And But big smile on his face, and was incredibly nice. Um, and honestly, I think it was his time in Prince Albert that, that changed him to be a, a much meaner fighter than he was, and I think he might even say that in his career, that he started off just, he wanted to play hockey, and actually wasn't a bad hockey player. That's, that's the thing a lot of guys don't understand with Mac. He was he was pretty damn good, and he was actually way better on defense than he was on forward. But he just happened to play more more on forward as in, in the role that he did. But yeah, super nice guy, and he he took some pretty hard licks from a couple different uh, guys early on. Um, but then it just kind of clicked, and just like a lot of other guys, they get their confidence and figure figure things out and get on a roll, winning some fights, and then it, it kind of comes naturally. But he had a he had a there's there's some guys that were tough in the league that were almost like. Um, you know, un, I don't say untouchable. They didn't fight lots, but when they did, it was disastrous. And he ran into a couple of those guys, and and of course he he kind of assumed a real heavyweight role on our team when Brunel left, and he came kind of came in, uh, just more so based on his size. Uh, but yeah, then he he soon figured shit out and, and got a you know rolling good, and he was one of the toughest guys in the league, if not the toughest, and of course carried that right on to the NHL too. So, but started off just like anybody else, just wanted to play hockey and have fun and. Um, the WHL was a bit of a meat grinder, and you kind of start to get the lay of the land and figure out who's who in the jungle. 
No, absolutely. And while you talked about him earlier, um, you know, starting out basically to the same direction, the path, right, was uh, was Riley Cote. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's always interesting because, of course, everybody listening, I mean, they, they remember Riley Cote from the Flyers and, you know, the tough guy and, the, you know, the enforcer. Um, and it was funny because I can remember when he was coming up, um, somebody had sent me a clip. It was when he was with the Phantoms. Might have been with the Phantoms. Anyway, he was in the minors. And it had been a few years, and uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, I dig this Cote man. You got to see him. Oh, he's a he's a dub guy." And I'm like, "That can't be the same guy that played in Prince Albert." You know, like I'm like I've started looking up. His, I'm like, "Holy shit, it is!" It's like, yeah, I couldn't because I, I like you said he didn't really fight. He, yeah, he was edgy and he hit, but he didn't really fight in the Western Hockey League. Um, yeah, it was just yeah, like you said, there's the transformation, right? It was just kind of weird. Yeah, and it's it would. It, I remember. Uh, I guess I was playing AAA, and he was still playing. He was he was the first year there. We we were good friends at school, and it was about once every three games, once every four games he'd fight, and then you know the next year is kind of once every three games, once every two games, and you know towards the end of it, he was like I remember when we played when we played Brandon. I always fought Randy Ponte, and he always fought Tutu, and um, you know whether we were playing Saskatoon and one of us fought Hordachuk and he fought Halderson. You know, not to say that he was number two or number three on the team, but he was also a very skilled player too, right? So uh, he just kind of settled into that, I would say, somewhat of a middleweight role early on, but then towards the end was fighting some some really tough guys and you could tell that he he was, you know, ready to do more and, and could do more and obviously through his, his um, minor and NHL career, he did do that and fought some of the toughest guys in the leagues, right? So yeah, it's just you kind of get used to it, and get comfortable, and figure out, hey, this works. And honestly, it gives you some space in the room. Like there's, it you had you had to play with some edge, or other guys, people, otherwise people just take advantage of you. And you wanted room, and you want to be able to go to the net, and you want to be able to not have everybody running at you all the time. So you had to stand your ground. And, and the guys that didn't, and unfortunately, there was a lot of really good hockey players that couldn't play tough. And and that's what the WHL it really separated um, players that could handle it and players that couldn't. And there was a lot of us that probably weren't were overly skilled necessarily um, that made five years in the WHL because we could stand our ground and and we brought more to the game outside of just skill and goal scoring and everything else. But there's leadership, there's you know protection, there's being a good teammate, and you know some of us turned into, into very solid players. And I guess you know even throughout my career, I started as you know every team that I ever played on, I was the best player on the team to, to a certain degree. Um, you know, maybe not the best goal scorer, but just maybe all around my size, and uh, and then you, you, I, you know, went to AAA midget. You start playing with better players, and okay, you know, you're not the best on the team. Now you go to the WHL, and you're definitely not the best on the team. So you got to find ways to contribute and ways to hang in there. And I think Cote was one of those guys as a perfect example. As as he got older and everyone else got better, he found another way to stay in the game and contribute and, and have a very lengthy career. No, absolutely, and it was funny. Um, we t- I. We follow each, Riley and I follow each other on Twitter, and I've I've talked to him privately here and there. And I had, I had mentioned to him that you were coming on the show, and uh, yeah, he just kind of got back to me. He goes, "Oh yeah, quick note." He goes, "Oh, Clarky, he was a great great guy, and he was actually the the push up champ guy, the biggest chest I've ever seen for a seventeen year old." Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I a lot of times I wish I had that same body again. Oh, we all um, yes, I uh, try. I believe me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we played hard and we worked out hard. We had a we had an awesome group of young guys in in Prince Albert. And I look back and some of my fondest times in the WHL was with, you know with Hart, Nolan Schultz and and Cote and 
you know, Greg Watson and John Kress and just, you know, there's a lot of really good guys on the team. Um, but we had a group that even when I was in, playing AAA midget and at the high school, we, we hung out together and, um, like, you know, Schultz, didn't have a car the first year and I, I was driving around everywhere and yeah, we just, we, we started as great friends and continued on that way and, and still are. Right. So. Yeah, it was interesting. As you, that, no, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that, that that first year, as I'm just thinking back on some of the stuff that, you know, like Kevin McClellan and how he just, he tried to, I would say, in a roundabout way, prepare us for what the league was going to be like, but also even what life was going to be like. It wasn't going to be a cakewalk and, um, you know, there's either kind of, you know, sharks and, and minnows in, in life and he wanted to make sure that we were prepared to be sharks as, as best we could, right? And I remember the, the one time he, he actually gave us his fight tape. We I don't know if we asked for it. Like we didn't talk to him a whole bunch. He, he stayed clear of him unless he. So somehow we ended up with his fight tape. And there's three or four of us that were at my billets place, and we had, you know, pop and chips and everything else. We we're gonna sit down like a big movie night and watch his fight tape. And after about three or four in, like we were just sitting there with our jaws were on the ground because, you know, just as much as I I think the league's changed from when we played. Um, you go back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before that and see how, how tough and savage it was in, in those days when he played. And like, it was it was nuts. And some of the stories that we heard and he confirmed and we saw in the fight tapes, like, it was just a different level of, of crazy tough. And, you know, when he's fighting Paul Baxter five times in an Edmonton Oilers camp and um, all the, the battles that they had and jumping penalty boxes to get in the other penalty box to go after a guy, it was, it was just nuts. So we, we knew the kind of guy that he was and, but he was he was definitely not afraid to try and screw with your mind a little bit and and he like I said earlier he's somewhat stayed clear for me whether we just kind of respected each other or you know we cut from the same cloth but there's definitely some guys he went after and tried to twist them a bit to make them a little bit tougher and some guys did and some guys didn't went the other way and they ended up staying on the team very long or whatever but I remember we stopped at um, we're going to BC and we stopped I don't know if it was Jasper or somewhere it was kind of a little bit of a resort town we we got out of with snacks from a gas station and he was out smoking and he always smoked so he'd, he'd come right out the bus and light up a, a dart and one of the guys was going by there and, and kind of looking at him and he said what are you looking at and of course the player said no nothing nothing and I was looking down looking down and uh max said hey and he looked at him and he swallowed a cigarette chewed on a cigarette and swallowed it down oh <laughs> that's just the kind of that's just the kind of guy like you just screw with your mind and do things like that where who who else would you know take a bite of a half lit cigarette and, and swallow right? But he did, and he had lots of little things like that where um, you know we were getting some little bit of hassle with some of the high school guys at school, and um, you know whether it was over girls or parties or whatever, right? And anyways, he'd come by with a couple of the older Raiders uh, in the Raider van and and just cruise through the parking lot a couple times, just sit in the in the corner by himself. I remember the one time I was going to my car and he yelled at me, and I walked over there about a dozen cigarettes sitting outside his window he'd been sitting there watching guys and just wanted to make sure that everything was cool at school and no one was you know, giving us a hard time and bugging us right like he was he was good for the team good for the players but you had to be the right kind of player to play for him yeah well <laughs> well i was gonna say how about uh well one of them he was a first round pick uh milan craft um yes did how did him and mcclellan get along you know, actually good, and of course, Mac's been around. You know, some of the best players in in, uh, in the league in the NHL for a long, long time. So he realized who were the pure goal scorers and just let them do their thing, and the real skilled guys. Then there's a group in between that I'd call maybe 
you know, could have been better, could have been tougher and could go either way. And then there's a bunch of us blue collar guys at the bottom that he was trying to motivate us, um, you know, to, to be a bit better. But Crafty was one of those guys that you just, you know, he, he actually got along really well, but he didn't interact with a bunch with him, just left Crafty his thing. And those guys from Europe at the time, they'd come over and they'd be in awesome shape and they would play an entire game and Craft would contribute. And I remember he would go into the weight room and, and do four or five rounds of squats and riding the bike for 45 minutes just to prepare himself for the next game and get bigger and stronger and um so you got to respect guys that are doing that and so yeah um i think no no issues there mac respected those guys and knew that what they brought to the game and it wasn't just you were going to make milan craft a fighter so you know encourage him and put him in the best scenario that you could to, to help him contribute and score goals no, absolutely. Well, like you said, that year you had 31 fights. You fought Orr a couple times. Um, actually, you fought Ponte four times that year. Um, Randy Ponte is a, a curious case because I know from following the league, you, you swear the guy was there for like nine years. seemed like he was in the Western Hockey League forever in Brandon. He fought every, I think he's the all-time fighting leader, I think. Um, but what was it? Uh, you know, yeah, he's an under, you know, not the biggest guy, but uh, obviously game, clearly. Um, what was it like fighting Ponte? So, yeah, you, you banged it square on. He was always game. It didn't matter in warm-ups, at the end of the game, with a minute left, first shift, it didn't matter. He was game. So uh, early on that, that first year, I remember playing in Brandon, and Ponte was running around, you know, smacking guys and throwing his arms up and elbows up. And so Lekong said, Clarkie, you're up. And I think threw me out there with, with, with Kraft and Civic or something. Like, I had no business being on the line that I was on. Um, so I jumped out there and knew what was going on. So I looked and, and saw Ponte, and I skated up to him, gave him a cross check, and he looked at me like, who are you? I haven't seen you all game. And and uh, I said, we're going. And he said, I don't know who you are. And I said, we're going. And uh, so we, we backed up through the gear, and once again, he, he was a, he loved to have his hands down low, and I, I didn't. I always had my hands up high, and he kind of just kept not getting close, getting close. And he, to your point, he wasn't a big guy. Um and he got close enough. I remember I jabbed him and, and dropped him to one knee and gave him three or four good shots, and down he went. And I got way I got the better of him for sure. Uh, and that never happened again. Every other fight, he you know, he made me earn it for sure. In fact, I've only, I only ever got cut once in the WHL, and he cut me over the eye uh, one night in Prince Albert at a, I think a fight actually I was winning, and he got a, a good shot in. But no, he was always game. He was strong. I remember he was really really strong. Could move really well. Good on his feet. Um, but he was one of those guys that every team would want to have because he's a good team guy, good leadership guy, would do anything for anybody else. And he was game to give it all. And that's, you know, you respect the guys like that. And there's, there's lots of us in the league, league like that, but we always seem to, to catch. So I, I probably fought him as much as anybody, um, for sure. But anytime we played, we played Brandon, it, uh, there's always, always fireworks. In fact, one time I remember this to this day, um, Ponte again was running around a bit and, uh, McClellan put McIntyre out and, and told him, like, handle that. So he goes out on the line, and he's out there with Kraft and whoever his winger was, and once again had no business being on the ice. And on their line was Ponte and 2-2, and I forget who the centerman was. So I remember to perfect to this day. It was face-off was in our corner just to the right of the net, and um, Ponte wouldn't fight. And the puck dropped, and, and Ponte, for whatever reason, wouldn't fight and kind of backed away, and, and Mac really didn't know what to do and all of a sudden the puck gets rimmed around to the left side of the ice where McCollin is the winger uh, sorry when McIntyre is the winger so so Big Mac you know instinct kicks in okay so we're going to play hockey so he he peels around and, and 
and circles kind of with his back to the puck and, and grabs it on the half boards and goes to come up and he's about five feet away from the boards and 2-2 came across the ice and hit McIntyre so hard and you think like the laws of physics couldn't let this happen but of course 2-2 has proved this entire life that it does and uh, you know 2-2 whatever he's 5-8 or 5-9 at the time and he had McIntyre was 6-6 and hit him so hard he put him up on the glass probably probably five six feet in the air and he was straight sideways on the glass by the time he hit and fell down and just a thunderous hit and shook the boards and the glass and of course they had all the momentum after that and then you know, there's lots of fights and, and things happen there, but he, that's one of the things playing Brandon. You absolutely had to watch out for Tutu because just as he proved his entire career, he could find guys in, in opportune moments and absolutely light them up. And in that time, he lit up McIntyre hard. Oh, yeah. Tutu, yeah, definitely. He's a little bastard to play for sure. I remember watching him and well, for his whole career, but then, you know, he'd come to Saskatoon and, um, yeah, like you said, just, just in constant. I, it's weird. I've never seen. I've I've only seen like two or three guys ever play like that, where it's like they're like a super ball. It's just it don't they don't stop yeah. and it's just constant running around and like just running guys, and it's like you could literally call call a charging penalty like every shift, you know. Every every time, every time for sure. But so fast, so yep. strong, and incredibly aggressive, and just had a keen sense to catch guys at the wrong times. And there's even a couple guys defensemen that we played against so. Uh, you know, the, the years, um, there's a guy in, um, oh shit, in Prince George. Uh, he's the captain, Dan Hannes. Yep. Wow. Like he was, he wasn't a big guy by any stretch, but he could catch guys with open ice hip checks and uh, like old fashioned hip checks. It was amazing. And, and Mark Ardlin was another guy that you just had to watch out for certain guys because they'd catch you with hip checks and they looked docile. You're going down on them and they just knew when to catch and, and they'd put you on your head. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, and you know, with hitting, hitting is just not running into someone, right? Like it's there's more to it, and it's an art. And some guys can do it, and some people can't do it. And there is an art to hitting, yeah. and it, you know, and uh, and Tutu was Picasso in that art for sure. Um, yeah. Well, another guy you mentioned um, uh, as we're talking about Brandon here, I was just kind of looking at their roster that year, and you know, you had Bart Rushmer and Ponte and Cote or Cote uh, Tutu. Um, but one of the guys on there was uh, former uh, guest on the show, and I know he's listening. Uh, Les Borsheim. Do you have any run-ins with Les? Oh yes. Yeah. You know, actually, I, no, I don't think I did, and. You know, I just prior to the call, I was kind of just going through, um, you know, Hockey DB, just kind of refreshing my memory, and and I saw his name there, and I actually wondered why why didn't we ever lock horns? But there's honestly there's enough guys, and some of those guys were were pretty decent players too. So just depending on what time of the game, and I guess I always just seemed to catch with with Ponte more than anything. I think even Rushmore a couple times, but um, yeah, no no less, and I never seemed to hook up. Yeah, well, and uh, well, in another fight, like you said, you fought him obviously numerous times throughout your career. But um, you know, you had mentioned him briefly in Swift Current when you talked about Colt Nor. And I've and uh, I've always pumped this guy up on the show as um, kind of an un, un I don't want to say he, he wasn't underrated by the guys in the league. They all knew how tough he was, but as like outside fans because you know he never went on and played pro or anything and i think he sort of he, you know you kind of get lost in the sands of time but uh was matt summerfeld how tough was matt summerfeld uh yeah he was he was he was really tough um he was 
pro he could probably take punches as well as anybody that he ever faced. And uh, as as the years went on in the league, he ended up fighting a lot of really tough guys. And like I said, he wasn't overly big; like he's about the same size I was, maybe six two, two hundred ten pounds. Um, but it was it was tough every single night having to fight bigger guys and and you know heavier guys, taller guys, and so you have to be strategic. But he was a guy that was always game. In fact, I think any time he asked me or I asked him outside of maybe one time in, in Prince Albert, he had a bad hand, and uh, we didn't we didn't end up scrapping. But we were the same age. Uh, we had played against each other in you know SAS first top forty. Uh, he was a pretty good player too, and and I knew who he was, and obviously he got drafted, and so you're keeping track of a lot of the guys at the same age as you, and, and as 82s, and my my year was 82, so yeah, and I really didn't know he was he was a fighter or tough, and I don't think he realized the same about me until I got to the WHL, and and here we go, because even in AAA midget, like we never we never fought each other or whatever the case may be, right? So, um, and just everybody was trying to fight for ice time and fight for a role and fight for a place because we want to be there. You don't want to go home. You don't want to go back to plan B, right? So, and then you saw a lot of guys that, that did and that weren't either scoring goals or weren't playing tough and, and they weren't there long. So you soon realize if you wanted to stay, you had to, you had to find a way to stay. And so he was a kind of the guy that I think figured that out really early on and ended up being really tough and could take a punch and, and give a good punch. But um, yeah, I would say, we're probably 500 uh, overall, him and I. There's a couple times he got the better of me and a couple times just worked out that I got the, the better of him. And Honestly, when I, uh, after my second year, I ended up getting traded to Spokane. I was so happy when the, our coach at the time, we were having some, I was having some issues with the coach and I was actually ready to just to pack it in because it just, I wasn't, he was trying to play mind games with me and I didn't think that was, that was right. So oh, he called me and said, we, we trade yeah, I was gonna say we'll get we'll get we're getting there we'll get there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so remind me of that because it circles back with Summerfeld. Yeah. Good story with Summerfeld. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. No, wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll do this first. Uh, yeah. Like when I was just looking at the. Yeah. Like you said with Swift Current in the lineup there, it's like Jeremy Reach, James Hebert, or Summerfeld. You know, Sir Daphne. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, that was. Uh, Oof, that's a tough team, boy. Yeah, I, for, I forgot. I forgot about that. I forgot about Hebert too. Yeah, like we we locked horns a couple times, him and I. And even that, like I said, that Ben Andres was always weaseling around, and there'd be lion balls and involve a lot of those guys. And um, they had a really tough team and a really edgy team. Yeah. Uh, they were. They always. I, I always thought they thought they were better than they were, but they played that way, so it was easy to. Um, there was never any easy games against them. And honestly, I guess it would have been the end of my second year. We played them in playoffs. And uh, however it worked, maybe they were first, we were sixth, or whatever, the first and fourth, whatever. But we were we were definitely the, the underdogs. We were playing Swift Current uh, first down there. And our starting lineup was me, McIntyre, I believe Cote, and then uh, two of our tougher defensemen, I just forget who they were, maybe Clayton Chartrand and somebody else. So I thought that's odd. That And, of course, as a visiting team, you gotta, you got to present your um, your roster, starting roster first. So sure enough, who, who they start, Matt Summerfeld, Colt Moore, um, you know, Sadatini would have been out there for sure, and probably Hebert Andres as a centerman. So I line up against or and uh, Mac lines up against Summerfeld and the puck drops and we have three fights 
within a second of the game, right? So um, big, big, solid, you know, tilts. Like we, there was three of us going at the same time, and it was, it was a good, solid fight. And and because you can only have one fight at a stoppage, uh, me and it must have been Cote, but me and Cote say we got uh, kicked out, and, and McIntyre stayed in the game. And I remember my old man was so mad because he was working long and had to, you know, speed over to Swift Current. We're only about two hours away from where I lived to get there. And he literally just got in the door, got paid, got up to his seat to watch the opening puck drop and saw me out there and I fought and I got kicked out. <laughs> so anyway, it was, I got to go up and spend the game with him, but a couple scouts ended up coming to talk to me. So that made my dad feel a little bit better at the end of the day, but. Yeah, there's just you know, and I, I was I was happy. I felt like I contributed. I we tried to set the tone the best we could and uh, let these guys know that it wasn't going to be an easy series by any stretch. I think we ended up going, you know, maybe six or maybe seven games with them, whatever it was. But uh, we didn't roll over and die by any stretch. Um, well, <laughs> one of the names you brought up said you fought him in the summer camp and everything, and he's sort of an infamous character in the fight world. And of course, he went on and played uh, in the minors and in the, in the crazy Quebec LNAH, and um, was always putting on a show. Was uh, Derek Parker? I know you fought him a couple times this year. Um, what was it like fighting Parker? Well, you always knew you were in one. Um, like I said, I fought him. I think I was fifteen and he was fourteen, or I was. I was maybe 16, he was 15, but we fought in this game, and he came right out and challenged me. Like, this is, we were playing in the Twin Arenas at Regina. It's supposed to be just an exhibition, kind of a conditioning game, and two minutes in, he comes and runs me and says, hey, Triple A, we're going. And I'm like, who is this guy? And anyway, so he tried to run me again. I remember I gave him a dirty elbow and knocked him down, and they started skating backwards, and he got up and dropped his mitts. I'm like, okay, we're going. And... <laughs> He had, a, he had a mouthful of uh, braces at the time. So anyways, I, I just was throwing as hard as I could, and he kept putting his head down. So I just would uppercut, uppercut, and he'd lift his head a bit. And I remember I'd punch him in the forehead and hurt my hand quite a bit. But anyways, got the better of him. He, he was all game. He wasn't a very good fighter at that time, but obviously he fought enough, and he turned into a really good fighter. But um, I, always in, I always enjoyed fighting him. Uh, it was always spirited. Um, I didn't think he could... He could he never hit me hard enough to actually hurt me, um, but it was always game, and there was lots, lots of action. So I, I, I actually knew him quite a bit outside of hockey too, and, um, and knew him to see him, and, and kind of respected the guy that he was. But he was definitely crazy. He was one one crazy guy. And the stories, there's lots of stories around him, and 99% of them are probably true. Yeah, yeah, yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, well, before we move away from this year, um, one last uh, fight I want to talk to you about, and uh, another large individual um, in Medicine Hat was uh, Scheffelmeyer. Oh, yeah. So, so as I talked about guys that, um, not to say they were untouchable, but they didn't fight a whole bunch, but uh, we call them sleepers. And when you woke them up, they were tough. And Scheffelmeyer is one of those guys. And it, it might have been a, a run. I remember I, I took a dirty beating from him in, in Medicine Hat. And I might have been riding a pretty high wave and thinking I was tougher than I was and, and ended up catching him. And he's such a big, tall, wanky guy. And as I tried to get him close, he caught me right away and held me out there. And it was he just started a lawnmower on me. And I just remember I was trying to pull him in and get close. And I was, I was probably as strong as anybody in the league, but he was able to keep me on the outside and gave me a, a dirty beating. Um, and I think he got me again at Prince Albert one time. And it's... Whatever I wasn't too damaged up, but my pride was probably hurt more than anything. And 
So you ended up just staying away from guys like that because if you if you provoked them long enough, they they'd fight and they're good at fighting. But they just he was a decent player too, and I think he uh, early on he fought lots. And towards the end of his career, I guess I was no different than me. Towards the end of my career, I didn't fight lots, but when I did, I, I think I was fairly impactful. And he was no different. He was a couple years older than me, and yeah. So, but he was he was definitely one tough dude. And another sleeper talking about that division was uh, Jordan Flodell that played in Lethbridge. Yep. Um, he was, he actually, I kind of knew him from pro- previous to the league because he played with my brother in a summer hockey team, so I knew of him. And he was just a big, strong farm kid. And he's actually one of the guys that, that gave McIntyre a dirty licking in Prince Albert one time. Same thing, Mac had won a couple of fights and we were riding pretty high. It was Saturday night in Prince Albert, and I think we were beating up on, on Lethbridge pretty good. And uh, Mac goes out there, and the helmet was tipped way up and skating over, and, and uh, yeah, picks a fight with Fodell, and well, he didn't say much. He just looked forward and puff dropped. They backed up and circled. And when he hit, it was just like sledgehammers. Just bang, bang, and just hit hard. And he, he hurt back pretty hard. So that was one of the guys who just stayed away from. Jim Vandermeer, another guy from Red Deer that whew, just rock solid, tough, tough, tough. Um, obviously, Stephen Pete early on in my career, um, even McClellan told us, like, stay away from him, don't go near him. Um, you know, he's a, a bit crazy, but just wickedly tough. And, like, I think Craig Brunel, uh scrapped him a couple times, but McClellan even one time, he said, don't don't bother with him. He said, he's out of your league. And he said, he'll hurt you. And so I took that advice and never did. Um, another guy that first year that I took a bad licking from was uh, Gavin McLeod in, in Kelowna. He was their captain. And we were working our way throughout Alberta into a BC trip and, and had a couple good scraps, I think, with Robin Gomez in Calgary. Um, I think I fought a Fransu in, in, uh, in Red Deer and might even Kamloops, someone in Kamloops. And I was, I was riding a pretty good high. So then we stumbled into Kelowna and we're getting beat up pretty bad. So I thought, well, I'm going to try and shake things up and, you know, gain some momentum. So I will step it on the ice and look around and who's my target? And, well, here's a big, big tall guy in defense. So yell at him and yeah he's ready to go and we dropped the mitts and he hit me so hard with that first punch and he was a, once again a big tall lanky guy and it's just my eyes went white and I, not even black out but you can uh, on my on my fight tape you can see that I had no idea where he was or what I was doing but I was trying my best to just to reach him and kind of get set and he was just firing as hard as he could so anyways um I hung in there we tussled around for another 40 seconds or so and we go down and I go to the penalty box and I remember the, the old boy in the penalty box, he's making sure I got water, and he says, are you okay? I said, oh, yeah. He said, are you sure you're okay? I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. And I remember I'm rubbing my head, and I had a big lump in my head, and this guy's looking at my forehead like I've got, you know, ten eyes. And so anyways, we're getting towards the end of the five minutes. I go to put my helmet on, and my helmet wouldn't fit. And sometimes when those helmets, they'd fall, they'd, they'd kind of shrink up or change size. So you open up the flaps, and you'd stretch them open. So I open it up, and I put it on my head, and my helmet wouldn't fit. I thought, what in the hell is going on? So I feel up in my forehead, and there's four massive goose eggs that started just on my hairline and went right down to my forehead. And for the rest of the game, I couldn't wear my helmet properly. So it was tipped up almost at the most awkward angle. Like, my entire face was open under my visor. And, like, the ref wouldn't let me play. He said, like, you got to... I mean, like he pulled me off the ice and said, you got to fix it. I said, I can't. I can't. The helmet won't fit over my, my, my lumps, right? So we ended up ended up rigging up some kind of a, a fishbowl or an eye tech, full, full face eye tech to wear. And, of course, the Kelowna guys were just giving me a hard time with that, which rightfully so. 
I picked the fight for the wrong guy and, and took a beating because of it. But that was, without a doubt, the hardest I was ever hit. And once again, a sleeper guy that didn't fight a whole bunch, but was towards the end of his career that had seen lots of dumb young punks like me, and he gave me a licking. So my confidence uh, shrinked right down, and my ego got back to where it should be. So every once in a while, he needed those fights to, to bring me back to level. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You said Flordell's name. Uh, I had a, a former guest on the show as well. well. And another tough guy that you would have played against in Metis Nat was Josh Mazer. Um, yes. Yeah, Mazer said the same thing. Flodell hit him. The, that was the hardest he'd ever been hit was by Flodell. And uh, and this is coming yeah. from a dude that fought Eric Goddard like 12 times. Yeah, but he, uh, yeah. But that, no, that Medicine Hat team, Mazer, Brad Voth, Shufflemeyer, Conrad Brand, you know, it's like, yeah, like all these teams, like you were saying, right? It's just like murderer's row when you go into town. Well, and that's like I, I thank my lucky stars for guys like Craig Brunell and, and Steve McIntyre because we go into a, a place like Medicine Hat and Mac would take on Mazer or Voth and I would slip in and, and grab Shufflemeyer or one of those other guys. So I was, they took a little bit of heat off me um, you know, early on in my career and that's when like some of those guys were just viciously tough and fought all the time. So uh, I was always able to, where you, you look at Swift Current and, and Sommerfeld and Orr were fighting everybody's tough guys where a lot of times big brother Brunell or, or McIntyre would take on the tougher guys so uh, to a certain degree I was very fortunate having those guys on the team with me no well absolutely well the, so the following year it's 2000-2001 uh, um, and uh, you get uh, well you start in Prince Albert and you get traded to Spokane but first of all I mean I know uh, then there's a new coach in town at Don Clark, and um, and you know, you're just you you started to talk about the frustration with dealing with them. Um, well, we'll get into the teammates and that stuff later. But uh, what uh, what uh, what happened with Don Clark and the and uh, leaving Prince Albert? Well, like I as I said earlier, I really liked Kevin McClellan and I learned to understand him, I guess. And, and he learned to respect me and it was in a good, I was in a good spot there. So I was really excited coming back to camp. I was maybe a little bit out of shape. Um, you know, I was like in uh, 12 pack Pilsners that summer, but I, I worked out hard. I, I was, you know, I worked on the farm. I was a farm kid and, and just came back and you know, it was a tough guy ready to be kind of back at it. And for whatever reason, um, he just, he was hard on me and, and a couple other guys and uh, for no for, for no reason and that's I was I, I'm, I would say I'm no, I'm no dummy by any stretch and I, I, I was a smart kid in school and um, I knew how to work my way around you know people and systems and everything else and for whatever reason I just I tried lots of different things with him to get on his good side and it never worked and he liked to take his frustration out on, on certain people and for whatever reason I was one of his whipping boys and um, you know, he'd tell me to do something, so I'd go do it. And then he'd criticize the way I did it. So I'd he'd say, do something some other way. And I tried that and that didn't work. And yeah, so it came to a head. It was actually against Regina. And we, they got up on us three, nothing in, in, uh, Prince Albert or something like that. We had a bad first period. So he came in and gave me and it might've been McIntyre shit about playing too soft and, you know, they're, they're taking advantage of us and running other better guys, and our tough guys are playing like pussies and being soft and everything else. So, anyways, I try and go out and play a little bit tougher, and I end up taking, I don't know, one or two minors. I think it actually was two. 
Um, and they scored on one, unfortunately, right? So when you come in after the second, then he comes to the dressing room and really doesn't address you, but just addresses you in front of everybody else that, you know, some of our guys don't know the difference in right or wrong and playing tough and playing stupid. And you continually, you know, cost our team and you're costing us tonight. I'm thinking like, fuck, there's no, there's no winning here. Right. So, um, at that point I thought I'm done. I'm, I'll go back and play junior A. I said, I was, you know, I wasn't having fun. I, I was losing the, the love of the game per se. And, and I liked our team and I liked doing what I was doing, but I don't know. It just, I felt like I had, I could do other things and, and enjoy time a little bit better. So um, I made the decision at the end of the second period that I either left Prince Albert and went somewhere else or I left and played junior A or whatever, right? Um, so then anyways, we went out and we had a big line brawl and uh, it ended up that me and Kazoka were kind of separated off to the side. And I knew Dave. We played AAA together in Prince Albert. He had a, came up and played AAA. And so, and I knew him in the summers. We, we hung out with a bit of the, you know, the, kind of the bar scene and the social scene in Regina. Anyway, so he looks at me and I look at him and the, the brawl was happening down and they're, they're far end, almost behind the goal line. And we both back up to center ice and, and of course it's a big shit show in Prince Albert and Saturday night and the fans are loving it. And, and so anyways, we, we square up and for whatever reason he had his hands low again and I, my, my left jab was without a doubt my best weapon and I caught him and down he went and he was out. And so... I, you know, that's actually the first time I actually knocked anybody out or dummied them, I guess. So I jumped on him and and really didn't want no like I didn't want to hit him anymore. But I kind of just mauled him a bit. And there was no refs. They were down fussing with the the line ball that's going on there. And all of a sudden, Kazoka starts waking up and coming to and like, oh boy, I just I woke the bear here, right? So, anyways, we roll around for a bit more, and finally, I was able to subdue him. And the <laughs> refs come over and, and break us off, and I went off the ice and. I don't want to say it was kind of like Patrick Wall when he, he stormed off the ice, but I said something to Don Clark about I'm done here or something like that. And and so um, I went in and got dressed or undressed and, and packed my stuff up. And on Sunday morning, he called me and phoned me in and said, uh, yeah, we're, we're trading you. I said, okay. And he said, there's three teams that were interested. Perfect. And he said, uh, Spokane, Kelowna, and Red Deer. And I thought, like, three of the best places to play in the league at the time, right? Like, perfect. And he said, you're going to Spokane. I said, okay. And that's all I said. And I got up. And, and I, I wasn't a disrespectful person at all, but I didn't. he, he didn't deserve any more time for me at that, that point. Just we didn't. I don't know what he was, he was. His ways of motivating me were different than how it was working for me. So anyways, I went home, packed up all my stuff, and uh, left, I think, the following morning. I went to Spokane and, and my first game in Spokane, they they put me on the starting lineup, put me back to defense, which Don Clark would not put me on defense, and I never left defense after that. So it was it was a good move, and my I loved my time at Prince Albert. The Raiders were good to me. I met so many good people. My I had some of the best billets that you could ever find anywhere. Made lots of friends uh, and spent four and a half really good years there. But it was time to move on, and Spokane was unbelievable. Well, there we go, and uh, well, that's cool because, uh, like I said, there's a there's a Facebook group, uh, the Prince Albert Raiders appreciation page that uh, I've recently joined, and uh, there there were uh, I was talking to the administrator there, and they're they're looking forward to hearing this interview, so uh, they'll they'll be digging those stories. But um, well, <laughs> before we leave PA, of course, I have to ask you about uh, minor league legend and at that time he rolls in at 18 years old looks like he's 12 uh, John Nasty Morasty what were your first impressions of John 
<laughs> he was like he was like a fridge. Um, he was just this short, stocky, uh, very outgoing, very personable kind of a guy. But you could tell that he just he had a he had a little bit of a screw loose. But he knew exactly. Um, he figured that out early on. Like I said, he's smart how he could play, and crazy tough. Like just well, you know that goes without saying. Everybody knows him, but yeah, just and could take a beating. And he's one of those guys that you, you think you could hit him with, in the head with a baseball bat. And I don't think it'd phase him. His face was really flat. And for some of us guys that have, like, you know, big eyebrows and, and bones, like, there's lots of points that can, you can get cut and t- tore easy. But if you actually look at him, his nose is flat, his face is flat, and just everything just kind of I hit him square on and bounced off. But he had really tough skin and, and could stand in anyone's firing zone, and he did that a lot. You know, he, he locked horns with Bugard a couple times in Prince Albert, and it was great because, you know, Boogie maybe wasn't such a good fighter at that point, and he let Morassi get in on the inside of him, and and Bugard really couldn't get his range and hit him, and Morassi would just tee off on him from about a foot away. And the, the height difference, and of course, you know, I talk about myself being small, Morassi was probably five inches shorter than me. And uh, he fought some of the biggest and toughest guys and was able to, to do it and win and a lot of times get the advantage. And then when he didn't, he would get beat up hard and he would come right back at you. And that, that was the thing about him. You could not diminish his spirit. He was, it was crazy. Did you, uh, did you guys, uh, you didn't tangle in camp or anything? No, I, and I forget how that worked. If maybe he came in after camp. I don't know if he's, he was truly there when I was in camp. But no, actually, sorry, he was. I had uh, I went up for conditioning camp to Prince Albert, and I got high sticked in the camp, and I had eight, eight stitches on my lip that went up to my nose. I actually got high sticked twice in the same camp, and had lots of stitch work. So I was I was not in the fighting mood at that camp because uh, my face was all mangled up with stitches on my lip. So yeah, so I didn't fight actually that that second year in camp at all um, until my face healed up. I forgot about that. Well, another guy I wanted to ask you about. He played in Prince Albert for a while, and then uh, he actually went over and played in the in the UK. Um, Kyle Bruce. Yes, yeah, Brucer. Yeah, he was uh, he was a good guy. He was always uh, he was game. He was I think a year younger than me, and he came in the year that I think I left to Spokane. But yeah, um, good yeah. guy, good guy, hard nosed guy. He wasn't overly you know a strong fighter at the time. Uh, just kind of like McNeil when we left. McNeil and Bruce kind of took over and, and filled those roles and, and obviously you know, got to be really, really tough. But, yeah, Kyle Bruce was a guy that had lots of energy. Really good guy, though. Like, fantastic friend and good teammate and good to have in any team. Well, like you said, you make the big move to Spokane. So, I mean, you're not only switching teams, you're switching countries. Uh, you know, so you get down to Spokane and the coach is uh, Perry Ganjar. And uh, what was your first impressions of Spokane and the guys? I, I, it was, it was such a uh, change and even just a little bit of a, a culture shock, I guess, for the fact that you li- li- leave Prince Albert. It's a small town. You go down there and you ask them. I would have swore that was, you know, the biggest city I've ever been to when I first pulled into Spokane and dro- drove there by myself and went through the border by myself. And of course, you had no really cell phones back then, so you, I got directions from the coach. Assistant coach actually was Bill Peters and got directions how to get to the rink and walked in and um, got hooked up with actually Mason Wallen, who was from Prince Albert, who I played AAA Midget with. So the guy that they had cut uh, was a defenseman, and I filled his spot. 
Um, so I went and lived with Wally. So that was great because, you know, Mason was a good friend of mine and, and still is at this day, but we got to live together and he, uh, you know, helped me get to the rink and get accustomed to all the team and the guys and everything else. So, uh, but I absolutely loved it. We had, we had a really good team and we lost, I believe in the West final. Um, yeah, we lost in the West final to Portland and, or maybe it was the West semifinal, but anyways, it was, it was seven games. And if we, if we would have won, we would have played in Red Deer. And we beat Red Deer every game that year. So I was very confident if we could have got by what we did. But I had a blast because um, I, I was able to leave the East behind. And, then, and all the guys that was fighting every single night, um, it was, the West was totally different. So my first game, uh, like I said, they put me on the starting lineup as a defenseman. It was great. And ended up uh, tussling with a guy from uh, Prince George that night a fairly tough guy who had kind of bumped into a couple times before and had a good scrap there and of course the, the americans they didn't see a lot of the fighting that the that the east did so they they loved it they thought it was you know the greatest thing since sliced bread so um very well respected by the team and, and i think we had like 14 13 or 14 guys from saskatchewan on the team all small town saskatchewan guys too so um it just I settled right in and loved the team and loved the, uh, all the guys I got to play with. The coaches were good to me. Bill Peters was a great assistant coach, uh, great with the players. And, uh, yeah, everything was good um, until about, you know, two weeks into that, that time frame when Matt Sommerfeld gets traded to uh, Tri-Cities Americans and, and um, Colt Moore gets traded to Kamloops Blazers and <laughs> someone else came from the West. Oh, Morasti ended up in... Uh, Tri Cities yeah. too, and he had yeah, up in Tri Cities as well. And then there's there's another guy that ended up at Ink and, and Kelowna too. And I just thought, like, holy shit! Here he was, just fought those guys for two years, was happy to leave in my rearview mirror and get out to Spokane and kind of stretch my wings. And they're, they're following me out there. So, anyways, the first game that we played, and the way the schedule worked, we played Tri Cities like eleven or twelve times, way more than than you would play like Saskatoon and Prince Albert or Regina and Moosha. It was not just the way the schedule worked. So. Um, we were quite familiar with them, and they were familiar with us. And they're a bit of an edgy team, you know, not as skilled. But so when Summerfield got there, I just like thought, "Oh, Christ, here we go again!" And we're playing their Summerfield's first game. We're playing in Tri Cities, um, and I wasn't on the starting lineup, and Summerfield was. And we win the draw. Our defenseman, I think, it was Kurt Sauer. He grabbed it and rimmed it in, and Bill Peters yells for Sauer to come off. I jumped on the ice. Puck goes around. It actually came back out to me on the point. I shoot on net. Uh, goalie makes a save. There's a whistle. All happened within 15, 20 seconds. There's some shoving down by the goalie. I go skating in there. Saw Summerfeld. He kind of saw me. We lock horns and throw the gear off. And for whatever reason, his arm got stuck in his jersey. And he was all tangled up. And I had an absolute heyday on him. And that was that was probably the most one-sided of the fight I ever had with him. He got me back after that a couple times. But um, yeah, it was it was a, a good first uh, first welcoming for uh, for me to him to the the West. I was for sure. And uh, while well, you had mentioned fighting him, the guy of Prince George, well, for the UK fans, will know is uh, Adam Stephanishan. Stephanishan, you fought yeah. him a, fought him a couple times. Yep, yep. and yep, uh, I did. yep. Well, of course, and there you go, right? Prince George with him and Boogie, and you know, like you said, Kamloops gets Orr, and they got Paul Brown, and you know, oh yeah, like you said, it's like oh here we go, right? Um, and actually, in Red Deer, I yeah, noticed. And then, oh, go ahead. I was going to say Portland had Portland had two or three guys too, and the one guy um, I, I had a tough time with all the time, Eric Bowen, I think was his name. 
And once again, he was a uh, big, tall, rangy guy and had long arms and was able to, to hold me out a couple times. But they, they had a fairly tough team as well, Portland. Um, yeah, we, we locked horns with them. Yeah, well, it was like, yeah, well, Goosehead and uh, um, yes. uh, Patrick Weller. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, there's certainly no uh, Eric Bowen. Yeah. Um, like no, no shortage of toughness. Um, actually, at Red Deer, I noticed uh, again another former guest on the show uh, that you met with Devin Frank on. Yes. Yep. Do you remember? Yeah, he was. He was. A, he was a tough dude as well. I, I and I don't know. Did we end up fighting when I was in Spokane or not? But I think we we'd fought early on at one point too. But yeah, one of those another one of those guys that was just big and and kind of tall and rangy and was tough. Real tough for sure. Yeah, it was because uh, always kind of struck me when you were talking about like kind of the 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 uh, the sleeping tough guy. Kind of the let him that was the, Frank on always sort of reminded me of that because he didn't really fight very often, but when he did, he was really good at it. Yes, one hundred percent, he was. Yep, yep, and um, yeah, and he's one of those guys that you kind of knew should be tough just because he was a big dude and. And you heard stories of it, but yeah, he was he was definitely one of those sleepers. He'd be in a sleeper category for sure. Uh, another guy that just as we're talking about um, sleepers was a big tough guy for uh, Portland, uh, Paul Gostad. Yep. And just just a brute of a man. I remember in front of the net trying to move him, and he was he was just tough, tough, tough. Yeah. And when he fought, he was a sleeper, but didn't fight a whole bunch. But when he did, he knew it. Yeah, and it, it's like yeah, it's just well, like we were saying, right? It's just it was that time period that oh, like every team just had guys, and uh, you know, and, and and a bunch of dudes that you know they they played junior and, and and you know, and then and then went back to the farm or whatever, right? They didn't go on and play pro or anything, but so I think a lot of people don't uh, like outside of like the American listeners that I have or the UK listeners that, you know, weren't around the WHL at the time. They don't, they don't know these guys. Cause there's like no, there's no footage of them either really. So it's like, they kind of go under the, uh, like under the radar when people are talking, but yeah, you start listing them off and, you know, I like, I like, it's why I like throwing the names out to, to yourself and, and, and guys who played in the league. Cause it's just like, you'll get stories of like unknown guys. Right. And for sure. And then to your point about, there's there's really no video like it just they just kind of started taping games and and you couldn't find anything on the internet at the time um so yeah i look at i was able to record quite a few of my fights uh early on on and i got it on dvd but i actually have fights of of mcneil and uh and riley cote on there as well and craig brunell and and lots of other uh guys david boychuk fighting in, in spokane as well um, so yeah, it's, I try to gather as many you know good fights or interesting fights, whatever the case may be. So yeah, it's it's cool to have those videos because there there wasn't a lot out there at that point. But you just honestly you just had, you had to be tough, and you didn't have to necessarily have to fight all the time, but you had to hold your own because um, there wasn't much for uh, obstruction interference in those days. You could get away with lots of things, especially like on a penalty kill. Oh, you get away with you know damn near murder. I remember one time in in um, I think I was in Spokane playing Red Deer. I broke three sticks and one penalty kill. And I, I love penalty kill. Like, I was one of those defensive players that I'd probably rather not have the puck than have the puck. I like preventing guys from scoring goals. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I love penalty kill because you, there was, you had lots of leeway and you get away with lots of stick work and in front of the net. And, 
you know, lots, there's always lots of dirty tricks in front of the net and off a face-off in your own end or in the corner or whatever. And um, Yeah, definitely a different time of game then than it is now, for sure. No, absolutely. Well, the following year, of course, you have your full season in um, Spokane. You go back, you're, you know, you're ready to roll. Um, you know, you played at seven, you played every game, 72 games, um, you know, 13 tilts, um, which, you know, I mean, by today would make you King Kong, but back in the day, that's sort of, that's really slowing down comparing to your 31 and 24 the year before, the two years before, um, was it sort of, uh, I don't like 13 fights. I'm like, was it on sort of, were you just having trouble finding guys to fight or did you sort of kind of slow down on purpose or, um, yeah. Were you well, sort of I, getting tired I, of it at I that point? <laughs> I, I, yeah. You'd be more selective. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily go looking for it more. Um, and I was playing a larger role in the team. So, uh, you know, at times I was even told like, like, we need you on the ice, not on the penalty box, which was a great feeling to have and, and something good to hear because it was such a contrast from where I started uh, early on. And yeah, I, I think even out west, there just wasn't as many fights that there, there was in the east. But um, the one I could probably say the thirteen that I have were, were probably as impactful of thirteen as I ever had or, or as any other league. Just didn't have a lot of the you know the fluff fights with, with other guys just because you were looking for it, right? So, but. I had lots of times there was lots of young guys looking to scrap and um, and of course you, most times you'd have to oblige because other guys would do that with me when I was you know starting off in the league too but um, I always actually always now you mentioned I always thought that 13 uh, penalty or sorry 13 um, uh, fights was underreported I actually thought it would have had more uh, at that time but oh you may have you know, may have yeah yeah and it uh, yeah like I'm, I'm just thinking back on a couple different situations where they were and they're all typically in the heat of the moment outside of some summerfeld fights like him and i would always square up in a couple times me and or um but a couple times both or and i it was after i hit somebody or he hit somebody or you know taking liberties we'd do our thing but yeah it, it and honestly fighting just was somewhat on the decline um even in the the short two or three years uh towards the end of my career it was it was changing you could feel it you can see it did um I, I've, I've talked to a few guys that have got traded in the Western Hockey League at that time, like Mazer was bringing it up. Of course, it was a few years earlier, but um, was there a big difference? Well, you briefly touched on it, but did you notice a difference between the East and the West in types of play, style of play at all, or was it kind of all the same? Um, yeah, there was a difference. Uh, I would say the East was definitely way tougher to play in, um, and there was probably more of a focus on fighting and everything else. Like if you looked at line brawls and you know, use that as a that's kind of a simple gauge. Rarely happened out west, and it happened almost every night in the east. And uh, Alberta was kind of you know in between. So, but yeah, it was just maybe a little bit more of a of a tougher grind. And not to say the rivalries are more in the east because obviously the Spokane and and Tri City rivalry was as strong as any. And I know Portland and Seattle had a tough one as well, but um, it just was a whole lot more serious and rugged and physical in the east than it was in the west. Well, some of your some of your battles we had mentioned earlier um, th- this year with uh, Pat Weller, um, but another character that of course went on and pl- had a lengthy NHL career, Cody McLeod in Portland. Yes, yeah. So I, I remember we played Portland, and I think we were up on them, and or they were up on us. But it was just, it was a tight game at the end, and I think we were up on them. Uh, they had lots of pressure on, and. 
anyways, it was just everybody's just getting real chippy, and I was, it was pissing me off because at the time they didn't have anybody that would was super tough, but they were taking liberties with some of the other guys. I remember they were riding Mason Wallen pretty hard, and um, I, I just was I had enough, and I was frustrated. And it was at the end of a we might have had maybe even a little skirmish the shift before and I got out there and looking like someone I'm going with somebody just had that that itch where you, you wanted to fight and I looked around and couldn't see anybody that I thought would fight a whole bunch and lined up with Cody McLeod so I gave him a cross check and said we're going and he tell you wasn't overly excited about it anyways I I as soon as the puck dropped I backed up and started shedding and of course he has to go at that point right and good on him. He was game, and he was—he might have been 16, maybe 17. He was—he was pretty young, um, but he—he he shook him, and he kind of came in there and lunged at me, and I hit him with a solid bull right up the start, and and uh, had my way with him. But definitely, definitely, he turned into like a crazy, crazy tough guy, and I did—I wouldn't want to, you know, go with him now by any stretch. But uh, I definitely had the better, the better of him at that point, and I had a lot of age and size and, and experience in fights more than he did and probably took advantage of the situation. Uh, he probably was probably looking for payback at some point, but um, yeah, so that was my only scrap with Cody was that time. Well, another uh, character you fought and he was just, he was a young guy trying to make his way, but, uh, and he certainly went on and played in the minors and UK fans love him or hate him. Zach the Hack, Zach Fitzgerald. I know you guys tangled. How was it taken on Zach? We did. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. I think we had a couple times, actually. Um, no, it was it was good. He was one of those guys that he was game and uh, lots of energy. Um, I think I handled him pretty well uh, both times, but he was he was big and strong, and that's like you, that was the thing. Like you, you in those days, you knew you were in a fight. Like 40, 30, 40 seconds. Like that's all you wanted. I remember. <laughs> You know, if you went past a minute and you got to the penalty box, like you needed more than five minutes to recover. And we were all in great shape; like we were skating every single day and lifting weights and riding bikes, and without a doubt, the best shape that I was ever in my my life. And it just took so much in those fights of, of pure energy, because you're, you're you're fighting guys that are just as excited as you are and trying to do you know as, as good a job as you are. And it's just a pure battle of, of will and strength. So it was draining for sure. Um, well, over the, oh, now, so over the summer, you, you wrap the season up, um, now you're going into your overage year as a 20 year old. Um, did you expect to stay in Spokane or did they kind of let you know ahead of time that you were, you weren't going to be there? Um, no, it, uh, it was maybe the elephant in the room when you looked at it. Uh, if I remember correctly, there is Tim Crimusa, Mason Wallen, and another 20-year-old that had been there for quite some time. Chris Barr. Uh, who the hell was Chris Barr. Sorry, yeah, Barzy. And Barr was a defenseman and uh, probably a little bit better skilled defenseman than I was. You know, it wasn't maybe as tough, but he wasn't a pushover by any stretch either. He was edgy. And, yeah, so Wallen, of course, had been there since he was 16. I think Crimeusa, we call him Moose, had been there from that time or maybe 17 on. And we're like, you know, Spokane guys through and through. And then Barzy just sat the roll. So, I, I saw the writing on the wall, and I, I approached the, the GM shortly after camp and just said, like, you know, I've been on here for a couple of years. Spokane's treated me, you know, wonderfully, and it's been awesome. Um, but if there's a chance to, to get a trade to go back to the East, as crazy as that sounded, I'd want to do it. I said, I want to get close to close to my home. My parents can watch me a little bit more. My, my grandmother hadn't seen me play in a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I said, if you can get me, and I said, I don't care. Any team in Saskatchewan or Manitoba, whatever. 
So uh, the the deadline was coming up, and they I went to the waiver draft, and no one picked me, and so I came back, and I was kind of in limbo. I talked to some junior A teams, and Grand Prairie had, uh, I think they were making a run at the uh, at the national championship that year, so they were load, trying to load up on players. Uh, and then, of course, I live right next to Wilcox and Notre Dame, so they, they wanted me to play down there. But Grand Prairie, being a privately owned team, had a very, very nice offer and were trying to you know, yeah. get as lucrative as they could to get there. And so I'd actually, I, I was skating with Notre Dame to stay in shape, and um, I made the decision I was going to go to Grand Prairie. So I was, I was actually packing my car on the driveway of our house, and my mom uh, stuck her head out the window and said, you got a phone call, and it was Brent Parker from the Regina Pats. So um, at the time, uh, Matt Hubbauer had a, uh, some kind of a, a condition, and um, he wasn't going to be able to play for an unknown period of time. So they picked me up, and I joined them. The, I think I actually joined them that night, or maybe even the next day. We went to Red Deer and played, uh, and the next day they named me an assistant captain, and and I was on the team, and it worked out great. I think there was there was six defensemen that were under the age of seventeen. I think four, like three were sixteen, and three were seventeen, and and there was myself. So I was the old dog on the on the group, and they wanted me to help kind of coach and mentor and whatever, just be some kind of a uh, having some experience, some age out there. And it worked out great. I, I love my time in Regina. Um, and then the way it worked out was. Um, Cold Orr got traded there as a 20-year-old as well, and uh, him and I became really good friends, so it was kind of laughable that we battled. I think we figured out that time there was 11 fights that we had had against each other throughout the years, and <laughs> him and I lived very close to each other, so we we traveled together lots, and we were kind of the two old guys on the team, and um, it was good. I really enjoyed my time in Regina. Uh, however, it was cut short with my injury just after Christmas, um, and uh, yeah, life was pretty good for me in Regina. Um, a lot of friends and family, like I said, where I lived was only 30 minutes from there, so every night there'd be a contingent of Rolo and area fans there watching and, and lots of relatives and friends. So, But unfortunately, it just got cut a little bit short, that's all. Well, you played, uh, well, like you said, you, you you finally get to, uh, you don't have to fight him, he's your teammate, you got Colt Nor there, um, but of course, one of the guys on the team that I have to, that I have to ask you about, of course, was the late uh, Rick Rippin. Do you have any stories yeah. of the Ripper? Um, not a whole bunch. He's the kind of guy that uh, I liked him, and I think he liked me, but he was really, really quiet and kind of hung out to himself. Um, we we actually scrapped in practice one time, and you know that, that happened lots. Like a lot of people that you talk to that aren't accustomed to hockey, they don't understand how you can fight a teammate, and <laughs> it happened lots. Like at every every level, every age group, because you're you're both playing hard and you're working hard, and you, you know the emotions get the best of you in a drill and and um, it just happened. So him and I actually had a scrap one time in practice, and it wasn't you know it wasn't anything. We weren't trying to hurt each other, but uh, yeah, he was a, he was he was tough, but he wasn't he wasn't fighting every night. But you could just tell he was raw bone and just naturally tough and nasty tough. And you know, obviously, over the next couple of years, that just he settled into a really solid role. And he'd be one of those guys that I would actually class as a sleeper. That you know, if you if you're going to fight with him, you better pack a lunch because he's going to bring it every single time. No, absolutely. Um, one other guy on the team, of course, he's now, I believe he's a referee in the NHL, uh, Chris Schlenker. Yes, yep. Yep, so, I, so he's one of those defensemen. He's one of the young defensemen um, on the team and, and was a just a good, solid guy. Uh, didn't scrap a whole bunch. He, he did a couple times, but he had lots of energy, was, was one of those rugged, kind of tough individuals that had a streak to him. And that's you know, I love playing with those guys and playing for him because – 
um, you know, they, they knew you'd have your back, their back and, and vice versa, right? So um, he was another guy that ended up being very successful. And he actually, so I, I was, I got named the captain uh, just after Christmas and then my injury happened right away. And then he, he assumed the captain role after that and did a great job and, and obviously has a fantastic career uh, outside of playing hockey uh, as, a, as a ref. No, absolutely. And uh, well, speaking of the young defenseman on the team uh, from the Czech, and he didn't for a, uh, a young kid from the Czech, he's a big dude and didn't take any shit. Was uh, Troyovsky? <laughs> so his, his nickname was Juice, and uh, it's funny. I was just actually going through some some of my personal belongings after Christmas, and I came across a, a picture of the Pat. So, if, although my my time uh, was short there, and I enjoyed it, you know, my memory is a little bit short with some of those guys because only there for a couple months. So. Uh, but Juice is one guy. Like, yeah, he was he was a big dude, and like you want to talk about, you know, a push up king. He's he was crazy. So him and I would would have some weight room battles all the time. And my nickname was Old Balls, um, <laughs> in in Regina because I had, I had, you know developed early on. I always had a uh, you know a hairy chest and and that kind of thing. And I remember when I was fifteen and sixteen, some of those guys that I in PA that rolled that I was, they looked like they were. 30 or 40 and it's funny that in, in the course of four or five years i turned into one of those guys but yeah that was that was my nickname was was old balls we had two twins that were on the team or two brothers sorry um wade davidson and todd davidson and uh, i think it was todd that his nickname was itty bitty and so he, he he thought i was the best thing since sliced bread and uh he started the nickname old balls but yeah, i remember we had a uh i don't know bicep curling challenge me and uh juice the one time and I took everything I had, but I beat him. But I was definitely sore than he was the next day. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, even I guess even just talking about scraps, you know, I I probably had more minors there than I had scraps. But uh, there was still a couple of pretty impactful uh, tillies that we had. I remember me and Bugard. Um, if you can believe this, uh, one of the brothers, the Davidson brothers, took a run at Bugard, and of course he kind of gave him a swipe to the off to the side and then the other brother these guys were, weren't overly big at all and especially itty bitty um and he, he came in to protect his brother and so you got these two guys that are probably no bigger than five six or five seven and, and bougard as big as he was so i come roaring across the ice and they're piled up and him and i lock horns and we had a good solid uh tilt then but uh yeah it was definitely towards the end of my career where i could be very selective on who i fought and when i fought and it was actually i, I was having a good year i was scoring some goals and getting some points and and uh, like I said, I was, I was named the captain. And so when I, at that point, when I looked back at where I started and where I ended, I was really happy with the way I developed and um, kind of just stuck with the program and stuck with things that always, you know, made me who I was. And at the end, it, it, it paid off. No, absolutely. And uh, well, just kind of on your uh, for the last bit of your your fights, uh, you actually fought England a couple times that year um, over in playing at Moose Jaw. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember the one great one we had, um, my girlfriend at the time, she ended up being my wife, but she was in the stands and we were playing a whoosh on the crush can. And, and we, I think we actually had a better record than they did, but we were getting thumped. And I mean like 8-1 or 9-1 or 10-1, it was bad. And so him and I, uh, we squared up and had a, a good old-fashioned, everybody on their feet kind of uh, scrap at center ice. And it was and at that point, he had been fighting lots, and of course, I'd been fighting lots, and it was just two, two of the tougher guys in the league at the time going at it, and it was a long marathon and back and forth, back and forth, and switching hands and trying to get the better of each other. But yeah, he was he was a tough dude for sure. Yeah, he was big and strong. Yeah. 
Well, there's the uh, the 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 junior ride of uh, of Jordan Clark. Um, now, at this point, um, did you have any thoughts of continuing, like playing pro at all? Had you talked to anybody about doing no. that? No, no, not at all. The only the only time I actually thought that there might be a career after um, the WHL was when I was in I was in Prince Albert, and it was Kevin McCollum that said, "Hey, Clark, are you entered for the draft?" And I said, "No." And I, I didn't know you had to enter or whatever. He said, well, do you have an agent? I said, no. So he said, well, you can use mine. So he hooked me up with his agent, and I had to fill out a form to be submitted for the draft. And, but that was, that was really the only time that I thought, you know, is there going to be a career after hockey? Is there a chance to do it? But, you know, and obviously I didn't get drafted. And, and Summerfeld, I think out of our group of, there was like whatever, six or seven or eight tough 82s in, in the WHL, he was, he was the only guy that did get drafted. Um, and as as you get older, you start to see the writing on the wall that if you want to continue on the in the role that you are, it's a long road ahead to get to you know the NHL or, or wherever. And I had I had plans after hockey, and I was always happy that I ended my career where I did, where I felt I was very competitive and and I held my own, uh, whether it be in hockey or in, in fighting. Uh, at that time, but you 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 leave the WHL and you go down in the minor pro in the states, and you're going to now be down there slugging with some guys that have been doing that role that I just did for three or four or five years for fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, and you're trying to upend a guy that's thirty-five with a family and 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 trying to you know make a living. It's a tough road ahead, and I I just got tired of it, and I I had other plans, and I had a, we had a family business, a couple different family businesses that I was interested in coming back and doing, and I wanted to farm and. Yeah, I just made the decision in my mind that when hockey was done, it was done. And I was going to close that, that chapter and move on. And um, the injury that I had at Christmas, or I guess it was the first game back against Brandon, I think Tutu actually involved with my injury. But um, I tore my ACL and my MCL and, and messed up my knee pretty good. And so that was a season-ending injury. And that kind of just you know put everything into, into motion for the, the next part of my life. Did uh, have, uh, did you put, have, did you play any uh, senior at all when you were done? Oh yeah, yeah. So I think I took a year off, and then I ended up playing senior hockey and um, in Milestone. So our, our hometown of Rolo, we had a team, but at the time we we didn't. And uh, both my brother and I ended up playing in Milestone, and we actually had an interesting first first game for ship. But they put my brother and I out there as as defense partners and. Um, I took a double minor for elbowing, and he took a, a double minor for spearing on the first shift with about 10 tickets in the game. But we played a couple, one or two years in Milestone, and we fired up the team in, in um, my hometown of Rolo. And then uh, we actually sold a company that we had, and uh, my wife and I moved up to uh, Saskatoon. And I hooked up with my old buddy Mason Wallen from Spokane, and he was living in Shellbrook at the time. And then I started playing senior in Shellbrook. And we had a, an unbelievable team. Um, and some tough guys, you know, Chris Thompson, he's playing in Seattle, he's playing in Shellbrook, and he was, you know, helping run the team, and great guy, and when you looked around the room, I think there was 15 or 16 of us that played either major, junior, or junior eight, so to have that on the senior hockey team was, was unbelievable, and we, we ran rough shot over the league, and then ended up winning um, the Provincial A title uh, that year as well, and I just, I had such a great time playing hockey, it was probably one of the most fun years I've ever had playing uh, hockey in general, but definitely senior hockey, and we had a great group of guys, and we're winning, which is always fun, and it was a good way to kind of start to wrap up the, the, that part of my career. So I, I think I played uh, a couple years in, in Shellbrook, and then we fired up, 
a team again in Rolo for Provincials and made a, a decent run there. And then I think I played another uh, Provincial run with, with Avonlea at, at one point. And it got to the point where I still could, you know, I knew the game quite well, but um, my knees were really bugging me and, and the recovery period at that point was, was tough to do. Um, some of the guys I could give, I give guys that played that hard nose game credit that can do it for 15, 20, 25 years because my body was, was tired. It was tired of hitting. It was tired of getting hit and, and that kind of thing. So that was my last go around. I guess that'd probably be three, you know, four or five years ago now. Well, and like for the listeners the, that are, when we're talking senior, senior hockey is some serious shit. I'm telling you, there's dudes that they take it serious. And I mean, you know, when teams try to qualify, you know, whether you're an Allen Cup team, which is um, kind of the, the Stanley Cup for senior hockey, if you will. Um, did you guys try to, did you guys were in the Allen Cup, weren't you, with Shawbrook? So I had, I had moved back. We had actually um, moved back home to Rolo from Saskatoon uh, that year. And that year they went, uh, they went AAA and went to the Allen Cup. I think it was in Rosetown that year. Um, yeah, they made a run. So I missed. Yeah. I missed out on that. So we had won provincials the first year. Then we had the same team again. We actually kind of lost, and we shouldn't have in the first round to St. Walberg. And um, yeah, then the following year they they won a Allen Cup run. Yeah, and like um, if anybody listening wants to like look into like the Allen Cup, you look at some of those teams and like some of the you'll you'll know some of the names when you go down the roster. I mean, there's like you know Ryan Smith and Pat Falloon and guys like that would would come back and play in it like NHL get retired NHL guys. But yeah, lots of junior, major junior and junior A guys playing senior hockey, and it uh, yeah, it's pretty serious and with all the small towns and. So, some money getting thrown around here and there. You know, you gotta pay. You gotta pay trans, right? So, uh, yeah, or so they say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and even that, uh, even that um, uh, provincial A run that we had, uh, it was by no means easy. Although we had a, a fantastic team, we we faced some really hard teams in Saskatchewan, and one of the teams was Leroy. And you know, lots of history there, and they got that old rink in Leroy, and um, we beat them in in Shellbrook. Um, I think only by one, and so it was a two-game total point at the time. And then, uh, or was it, or was it best of the regardless? But we went, we went to Leroy on a Saturday night, and that old rink, like you couldn't have squeezed another kid in that that building. And they just they had a, a plan, and they just would dump it into the D-man's corner, and two guys would absolutely run us, and they kept throwing it in my corner. And um, I, you you had to just take the hits. You had to take the punishment, get there, get the puck, move it up to the the winger, and, and you knew you're going to get hit hard. And they it was hard. And like there were some WHL guys on their team too. Craig Olnick was one of the guys who used to play in Seattle, um, and they just had a big strong team. But we ended up beating them, and then I think we ended up uh, with Belgoni in the final, uh, who I was quite familiar with from from my time playing in Rolo. We played in the same league in the Capel Valley with Belgoni, so. Knew lots of their players, and they had a really good team. But we uh, we ended up beating them quite easily in in um, Shelbrook, and then had a decent game in Balgoni, but beat them down here. So that was pretty cool because um, that was actually, you know, outside of really minor hockey, that was the only time it actually won a championship. Where I look at my brother's career, he won a couple provincial championships in in minor hockey, and then playing with North Battleford, they won their league I think twice and so yeah so I was that was actually pretty special to me we had a great team and like Hugh Hamilton was our captain and he was just without a doubt the best senior hockey player in the province at the time he played you know he had time in Spokane and then he played world juniors as well and, and got drafted in the NHL and we just had a lot of really good guys and really good hockey players and had a good run it was a lot of fun 
Yeah, no, and it's uh, it's cool. You talk about senior hockey. Like I said, it's uh, you know there's so many small towns and um, um, you know in so many leagues. You know the Triangle League, the White Mud, the Wild Goose, the you know on the Capel and all that. So yeah, so all the small towns. Yeah, like you said, Saturday night. Uh, small town senior hockey i mean that you know in some areas that's a big deal and like you said it's uh yeah they they pack those old rinks yeah it's lots of fun i'm hoping that uh, a lot of those senior hockey teams can survive moving forward for sure yeah it's gonna be yeah there's yeah it might be a different landscape after all this is done but uh no man i well there we go there's the uh the story of jordan clark um again i can't uh I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. You threw out some names, and uh, you know, and of course, I always love talking to to the old uh, '90s Dub Boys. I mean, you guys always get the good stories, and uh, it was quite the time back then. Yeah, no, it was good. I um, I appreciate the opportunity, and it was a, it was good for me to go down kind of memory lane because it's it's amazing how uh, important that time was in my life. But of course, it's water on the bridge, and you get busy doing other things. But I look back, and uh, it was fun. It was. I was I was a hockey player for those five years of my life, and um, you know you don't really know it at the time. And I remember even after my time was done, I I did some some tours in the WHL, helping some other teams, just having discussions and talks about you know embrace the time you have right now because it goes by quick, and the real life kicks in after that, whether it's school or job or wife or kids or whatever. But we had we were pretty carefree at the time you, know, you got up and you played video games you went and worked out and you practiced and you maybe ate some fast food and chased some girls and like life was life was good in those those five years but it went by quick but some of my uh, my best friends in life my best man at my wedding was matt keith who was my roommate in spokane in my second year and uh, i got life lifelong relationships from a lot of those those teams and those players and it helped it helped build a lot of skill and character um that you know served me well in my my role my job and even my family today no absolutely and yeah no i've said the same thing all my friends through my life is through athletics and and uh yeah and like you said it's uh I, I was in, that's why one of the reasons for the show was you know to get guys on and and you know kind of relive the you know whatever the glory days so to speak or you know just tell some old stories and you know i said for the for the people listening you hear from from ex-players that listen to the show um you know, any any time they can kind of, you know, they don't have an opportunity to go back and talk about this stuff, or to go back and listen to guys talk about this stuff that much anymore. So, you know, the fact that I could, uh, you know, that you took, uh, you know, uh, two hours out of your time to, uh, you know, re- retell some old stories, it was uh, is definitely appreciated. No, like I said, appreciate the opportunity. It was good for me too. Excellent. All right, Jordan. Well, I won't take up any more of your time. I will. Uh, I thank you again for coming on. And uh, ho- hey, hopefully this isn't the last time. You know, I always say to guests, they're more than welcome to always come back on. So, and hey, uh, I, we're. I got to talk to you about this DVD. <laughs> I'm interested yeah. in seeing this DVD. You got me thinking now. Yeah, I'd love to see that stuff. Well, and it was my wife that was a genius because I had it on VHS, and at, at one point. Uh, about 10 years ago she was able to convert it to dvd for me so uh, i'm glad she did because i don't think the vhs would have lasted i don't i don't know who would actually even have a vcr to watch it on anymore right so it's good we got it on something that we can at least watch no absolutely all right um well we'll stay in touch but uh for now i'll let you go uh thank you very much again have a good day okay thank you thanks thanks jordan
fights, and you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?